Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Tuesday, December 5th, 2023. My dear friend, dear friend of the show, Scott Ritter, joins us now. Scott, always a pleasure. Thanks for coming back and for giving us your time. Thanks for having Uh, me. Recently, uh, the President of the United States had an op-ed in the Washington Post, which he entitled uh, words to the effect of the essential nation referring to the United States. And he's used that phrase uh, a lot. You have a recent piece out called is the United States, the essential nation. And of course you take uh, issue with the president. What is your issue with the president when he claims we are the essential nation? Well, I mean, first of all, the hubris that's um, that's, that's in that statement. What, what are we essential to? Um, you know, the, the Biden administration has made preservation of what uh, they call the rules-based international order, uh, the foremost foreign policy objective. Um, but what is the rules-based international order? It's it, it, One would think that the United States, and Judge, I think you, you would understand this, um, you know, being a constitutional republic uh, where we are founded upon the principles, the values um, that are inherent in the Constitution, that is a body of law upon which we are defined, that we would be more accurate to call ourselves, you know, a law-based international order. That that should be what we want, but a rules-based international order. What is a rules-based international order? It means it's not lawful. It means it's something other than law. It means it's something that we have dictated to others that they must follow. So, we are essential to a rules-based international order, but is a rules-based international order essential essential to the world? And the answer is no, um, it's not. Uh, Ukraine is a is a example of this. Uh, what are we essential for in Ukraine? I, I, I will let's put it this way: this Ukraine conflict is going to end sooner rather than later, and when it does, the American people will have forgotten it just as quickly as we forgot. Um, the Afghan conflict. You remember the other existential uh, crisis that we faced just right. a couple of years ago. Right. Um, and it's the same thing with 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 Israel. Um, we're essential for what? For the preservation of the Zionist entity? Um, so no, I, I, I that the president wrote this opinion piece, this op-ed piece, and I, I took umbrage. He says that we're in an inflection point in in history. 
And, and that I, I do agree with him. We are at an inflection point where America is becoming increasingly the irrelevant nation in the world because we have chosen to embrace the rules-based international order while the rest of the world is talking about the United Nations Charter, which is a law-based order. Remember, Kissinger, it is dangerous to be America's um, uh, enemy. It is fatal to be America's friend. Just ask Vladimir Zelensky and and General Zeluzhny and the mothers and fathers of the 500,000 young Ukrainian men killed or so disabled they can never uh, go back to a normal uh, life again. I mean, I, I think a lot of this um, started uh, with George W. Bush and the invasion of Afghanistan after 9-11 and, and the extraordinary manifestation of hubris. Get our minds off of uh, 9-11. Forget about the fact that you slept uh, at the switch. Forget about the fact that your Saudi buddies financed it. Let's blame it all on the Afghans. Let's do what 25,000 British soldiers couldn't do in the 19th century and 100,000 Soviet troops couldn't do in the 20th century. Let's turn Afghanistan into a democracy and prove that we spread democracy. Baloney, we spread violence, death, and destruction. Am I getting you know, carried away? Yeah, you know, I uh, right after 9/11, I think it was actually in October of um, of 2001. I was on the History Channel uh, doing a debate with uh, Richard Holbrook, um, and he's the uh, you know he's deceased now, unfortunately, but he was a well-known American diplomat. He helped negotiate the end to the Kosovo conflict, um, and he also. Um, later on became the head of the Afghan-Pakistan policy team for uh, the Obama administration. But at that time, he was advocating very strongly in favor of a military intervention. And I said, well, why don't we try a diplomatic intervention? He said, with whom? I said, well, what about the moderate wing of the Taliban? And he said, there's no such thing as the moderate wing of the Taliban. And I said, well, do you know who the foreign minister is, Mutawakkil? Have you listened to him? Um, it's very moderate what he's saying. He's saying that he's willing to talk to the United States about the crimes committed by Al-Qaeda. And if the United States can document these crimes, then under the Pashtun Wali, uh, the Pashtun tribal code, um, because Afghan is a Pashtun-dominated nation, they brought Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda in as their guests. And if they violated Islamic uh, tenets while guests, they must be held accountable too. And he said, the Taliban will hold him to account if you can document the crimes. But the United States said, no, 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 we've already found you guilty. We're going to come in and we're going to remove you. So we we engaged from the very start, not just a, about a war of retribution against Osama bin Laden, but a war of regime change against the Taliban. Today, the Taliban's back in power. That didn't go very well. And the other thing is Al-Qaeda has expanded its presence globally. So we failed in that too. Well, it was a, a miserable miserable failure uh, on the part of the Bush administration. Maybe one of the worst foreign policy uh, decisions of the modern era. Another horrific foreign policy decision of the modern era is to convince President uh, Zelensky uh, that Vladimir Putin is a monster unworthy of entering into with a treaty and that we would so back him up with sufficient moral, political, emotional, international, financial, and military support uh, that he would never be wanting. Now he's wanting. Zelensky. Look, one of the big problems here, uh, let's let's look at two foundational elements of that 
of, of what you brought here. The first one is we don't care about Ukraine. Let's just be honest for once as the American people. Just like we didn't care about Afghanistan, we don't care about Ukraine. You know, do you remember when we were talking about how we were going to save the Afghan women, how we were going to come in and put Western values, turn Afghanistan into a forward thinking country? Because it was so important, not only yeah. for the humanity yes. of the Afghans, but also because we had to transform Afghanistan so we would fight the enemy over there, keep them over there so we didn't have to fight them here at home. But overnight, all that went away. We don't. Who's talking about the Afghan women today? Who's talking about the Afghan? No one, because we never really cared about them. It was always political garbage, hot air. The same with Ukraine. All the Americans have put the Ukrainian flag on their social media is a little feel-good thing. You don't care about Ukraine. You never had. That flag will be gone. It's probably already gone now that Ukraine has lost. You don't want to be associated with losers because you never really believed in them. Ukraine has lost. We're abandoning them um, like, like the bad habit they are. This is the fact. The other thing is, why did we do this? We did it because ah, we said, that's the question. That's the sixty-four thousand dollar question, yeah. and that gets us back to to the government's belief that we are essential. The we're, we're, we're but it's more than that, Judge. It's it's arrogance and it's ignorance. Uh, to give you an example, my good friend Seymour Hirsch, and he is my good friend. I've known him for twenty-five years, but he put out a Substack that I take umbrage at. Not against him. His job is to report, but he's quoting a source or sources within the U.S. government about so-called negotiations that are taking place between Ukraine and Russia, between Zeluzhny, the head Ukraine military guy, and Gerasimov, the head of the Russian. And just on the surface, you this is so absurd, it's, it's beyond belief. A, Gerasimov constitutionally is not permitted to engage in these kinds of uh, negotiations. So right off the bat, you, you want me to believe that Russia has waived all constitutional due process, et cetera, to allow this conversation to occur. Two, like it's premised on the notion of a frozen conflict that would freeze uh, Russia's line, uh, leaving important elements of Kherson Oblast, uh, Zaporizhia, and Donetsk in Ukrainian control. That can't happen because constitutionally they belong to Russia, and Russia can't freeze that. That requires the uh, the the legislator, the 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 Duma, together with the president, to reapproach the issue and get permission to do this constitutionally. That hasn't happened and it won't happen. And lastly, it's premised on once this happens, that Ukraine will be allowed to join NATO. Russia went to war to stop Ukraine from joining NATO. And to right. believe any of this, you have to say that Russia's losing this conflict. But we know now that they're not. There's not anybody out there today, with the exception of maybe Jack Devine, who is articulating that <laughs> Russia is uh, is losing this war. But now, so now we come why did this article get published? Because it's designed to sow the seeds of doubt in the minds of a Russian population that we continue to be believed to be susceptible to disinformation, to get them to doubt their government, doubt the sincerity of their government, to promote discontent that can rise to the point of a Moscow Maidan moment to remove Putin from power. And there it is, Judge, the answer to the $64,000 question. Why did we do all this? because we somehow believed that Vladimir Putin was vulnerable and that if we could expose him to the political pitfalls of economic sanctions combined with military difficulties in Ukraine, that the Russian people would rise up and remove him from power. He is the most popular president 
in the history of Russia. The Russian people are 100% behind him. The Russian economy is stronger than it's ever been. The Russian military is the strongest military in the world. We failed, as we always do, when we have the hubris and the arrogance to say we are the essential nation. Because the moment we say that, we blind ourselves to the reality of the world out there. Rather than saying we are the essential nations, we should say we are a nation that is engaged in very complex problems with other nations that we need to understand better if we are to come up with solutions that actually solve the problem. But you can't solve a problem unless you first adequately define the problem. Right. And when we define the problem in Ukraine as the potential of getting rid of Russian President Vladimir Putin, we'll never have a solution. Has the um um, have the powers that be in Washington come to the realization that Ukraine is lost? The reason I ask this is somebody that you and I keep poking in the ribs all the time because he never met a war that he, he didn't want somebody else to fight. Lindsey Graham made a unique statement over the weekend that he will oppose further aid to Ukraine unless it's combined with uh, building a border wall. And of course, there's really no connection between the two. But the fact that he would say that knowing the Democrats are against it and knowing Zelensky is on his last leg makes me wonder if even he and Victoria Newland and Tony Blinken and Jake Sullivan and the president, to the extent he knows what's going on, are looking for an off ramp. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. I think they found their off-ramp, and their off-ramp is the funding. Um, and this is, you know, this is all about politics. It's never about Ukraine. Remember, we were with Ukraine until the end. We're going to stand with you until the end. We're not standing there now because right. the end is, the end is here. And, and so what is Lindsey Graham saying? Don't blame me. Not my fault. I supported Ukraine. And I would support Ukraine again, he's saying. But first we have to do a politically impossible task that the Biden administration isn't going to do because we're in that silly season leading up to a presidential election. So he knows that Biden can't make the compromises that are required for him to support the funding. And so it's, it's, it's the same thing, but it's the end for you. Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor just spoke and said, look, 97% of the funds are done. There's nothing left. We're done. Ukraine's out of money. Germany has told the European Union they're not going to contribute anymore to the European Union Save Ukraine Fund. Ukraine is broke, um, not just broken, but broke. It's all over, but but the shouting. I, again, I just remind people when I say it's all over, that doesn't mean that the fighting is going to stop. At the, at the Second World War, the bloodiest month for Americans in Europe was not D-Day, it was not the Battle of the Bulge. It was April 1945, after we had strategically defeated the Germans, crossed the Rhine, and were in the so-called cleaning up 
uh, that was the bloodiest month where the Germans put up the greatest level of resistance. So it's potential for Ukraine to continue to put up resistance even as they're dying on the battlefield. Chris, uh, let's run the um, clip uh, of um, Secretary or of uh, Vice President uh, Harris uh, saying too many innocent Palestinians have died. President Biden and I have also been clear with the Israeli government in public and in private many times. As Israel defends itself, it matters how. The United States is unequivocal. International humanitarian law must be respected. Too many innocent Palestinians have been killed. Does Bibi Netanyahu think that there are any Palestinians who are innocent? No. The Israeli leadership doesn't believe that either. They, they, they have uh, made the Palestinians an extension of Hamas. Um, and their policies uh, reflect that, the indiscriminate bombing, the collective punishment. But my question to um, Kamala and to Joe Biden and anybody in the Biden administration is, what number of dead Palestinian children is acceptable to you? What's, too, what's, what's not too many? I mean, that, that's where we're at. 7,000 dead children and growing because there's about a couple thousand under the rubble that they haven't counted yet. But what, well, I just want to know what number, because we know that Madeleine Albright accepted 500,000 dead Iraqi children. That was a price she was willing to pay by extension America. So what is the acceptable price, Kamala? And, you know, that's, that's the absurdity of her statement. To say that too many children, one is too many, especially when the one dies because of, you know, deliberate war crimes, which is what Israel is doing, deliberately targeting Palestinian civilian, uh, you know, objects and the civilian population themselves. Um, but that that's the hypocrisy of the United States. That's why we can't ever be trusted to be uh, self-designated, not only as the essential nation, but uh, a, a humane nation, a nation premised on the notion that we respect individual civil liberties and individual lives. What is too many? What is what? Mm-hmm. What, where was that threshold crossed, Kamala? An understanding that below that threshold, they were all killed with the same American airplanes and same American bombs. So there's no difference between the ones you killed below that number and you know the over/under on you know what constitutes too many. It's the absurdity, the inhumanity, the insanity of the Biden administration posture when you hear somebody say that. You're you're going to you're going to say that on steroids after you watch this, Chris. Uh, the Biden administration's five points for saving Gaza after the war. So we all want this conflict to end as soon as possible and to ensure Israel's security and ensure security for the Palestinian people. We must accelerate efforts to build an enduring peace. And that begins with planning for what happens the day after the fighting ends. Shortly after October 7th, President Biden and I began discussions with our national security team about post-conflict Gaza. We have begun to engage partners in the region and around the world in these conversations, and this has been a key priority over the last eight weeks. Five principles guide our approach for post-conflict Gaza. No forcible displacement, no reoccupation, no siege or blockade, no reduction in territory, and no use of Gaza as a platform for terrorism. We want to see a unified Gaza and West Bank under the Palestinian Authority. 
and Palestinian voices and aspirations must be at the center of this work. Nobody can take that seriously. Everything she said she wants to happen. We are providing weapons, ammunition, and cash to make sure it doesn't happen. She doesn't want any terrorists in Gaza. The IDF are terrorizing Gaza. Right. And and again, Judge, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. I just want to recall all the Americans out there. Sam Adams was George the third. George Washington was a terrorist. Was a terrorist. Sam Adams was a terrorist. Paul Revere was a terrorist. Thomas Jefferson was a terrorist. Um, So here we have Hamas. Um, Is Hamas a terrorist organization? I mean, people have classified them as such, but we also have recognized them as a legitimate uh, political entity tasked with the governance of Gaza. So they're more than a terrorist organization. They're an organization now that has a political responsibility uh, for the welfare of people who constitute the population of an open-air concentration camp. Um, Kamala Harris says that she wants to talk about the future of Palestine, and she says after October 7th. Well, Kamala, I just have one question for you. Where was this on October 6th? Where was this concern for the Palestinians on October 5th, 4th, 3rd, 2nd, 1st, dating all the way back, non-existent? So the only reason why you're talking about it after October 7th is because Hamas attacked Israel. And Hamas's attack against Israel was a political act designed to get you to start talking about Palestine. So Stop talking about Hamas as a terrorist entity because there will never be a solution to this problem so long as you seek to categorize them because Hamas will not be defeated by Israel. Hamas is not being defeated by Israel. Hamas is prevailing right now because Israel has set an impossible bar uh, for its success, the destruction of Hamas politically and militarily. Politically, Hamas, man, it's won the world right now, even though we don't say we're demonstrating for Hamas, the people demonstrating for Palestine are only demonstrating for Palestine because of what Hamas did on October 7th. So indirectly, you're demonstrating in support of Hamas's political objective of a Palestinian state. Um, The world is turning against Israel because of what Hamas did on October 7th. Hamas is a legitimate entity. If there was an election today in Palestine, Hamas would win the legislature and the presidency. It has more legitimacy and authority in the eyes of the Palestinian people because it's the only entity that's standing up for the Palestinian people. The Palestinian Authority, Mahmoud Abbas, they are supporting Israel. They serve as an adjunct of the Israeli security state, uh, you know, terrorizing their own population. Hamas is a reality that we're going to have to learn to deal with. You're not going away. They're getting stronger and they're winning. They're winning politically abroad and domestically amongst the Palestinian people. And they're winning militarily. The Israelis have been fought to a standstill in Gaza. Hamas is inflicting a defeat of death by a thousand cuts. And this this conflict continues. The Israeli casualty figures are going to expand even further. I was going to ask you uh, if if we should expect Vice President Harris, who is a lawyer, to understand and explain that indiscriminate bombing uh, is against federal law, against international law, and against all moral principles. And then I thought, I'm, I'm going to ask a bigger question. Are we naive to expect political leaders to tell the truth? Yes, because the truth is not the friend of political leaders. It would be nice if our political, if our politicians, had um, you know the 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 intent of Jimmy Stewart in uh, Mr. Smith goes to uh, Washington. 
a classic movie uh, where he wants to do the right thing. And maybe, maybe some of our senators and congressmen or representatives um, have that when they enter Congress. But if you're a representative, you have two years to get reelected, which means day one, the first thing that happens is your handlers take you to a series of phones where you start raising money for the next election, which means money becomes the whole reason why you exist as a representative. Money that has to come from somewhere. And rather than spending all the time calling every man, woman, and voter in your district, you cheat and you go to funders, you go to the supporters who own you now because they give you the money that allows you to get your committee seat, get your power. And here's the other thing to point out. Let's just go through every one of these congressmen um, and senators and look at their salaries when they entered Washington, D.C., and take a look at their value five years later. And you'll see that they go from $150,000 to $5 million, $10 million, $20 million, and they ain't getting that $20 million by the money we, the taxpayers, pay them, which means that they have sold out to the system, to the establishment. There's not an honest politician in America today. I hate to say it that way and be that blunt, but th I'd like to see one prove me otherwise. You know, uh, and uh, so we are naive. We are there's naive. A, there's a tool for interpreting statutes called... Um, uh, legislative intention, and you look at what the legislature said at the time uh, they enacted the legislation. And my uh, late great friend, Justice Anthony Scalia, said, It doesn't matter what they said. There's only one reason they ever vote for anything to get reelected. Bingo. Bingo. He's 100% <laughs> he's 100% correct. And they get reelected by, uh, by pleasing. Uh, the people that finance their uh, their campaigns. Um, when do you think the Israeli government will recognize the damage it's doing to Israel uh, in in the PR war and in international standing and the danger it's exposing to the Israeli people as their neighbors get angrier and angrier? Egypt, Jordan, Turkey, Iran. Look, the, the whole purpose of the Israeli government, as it currently configures, is to keep Benjamin Netanyahu out of jail. That's, I'm being serious, because the, the number one priority of this current Netanyahu government um, is to, was, was at the time, to rewrite basic law in Israel so that the judiciary would no longer be free and independent, but instead be subordinated to the whim of a politicized legislative branch, the Knesset. Um, and this was destroying Israel. So if you know, hundreds of thousands of people in the streets demonstrating against Benjamin Netanyahu, calling for his resignation. And it was harming Benjamin Netanyahu abroad, including in the United States, because you can't speak of being a democracy when basically through this act, this coup d'etat against your judiciary, Netanyahu had elevated himself to be the supreme autocrat. So he doesn't care about Israel. He only cares about Benjamin Netanyahu. Um, and now, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I think people out there who talk about 9-11 and all that, they're very unhappy with me because I don't buy into uh, their conspiracies. Um, but, you know, and I, I, I viewed people who said, well, Netanyahu knew, he knew this, they had to do this. And I said, you know, at first I'm like, that's a conspiracy. I, I, I'm more a fan of incompetent theory. But the more you dig into this, the more you realize what the Israelis knew and, you know, the detail of information that had been provided to Israeli decision makers and the insanity of the Israeli government meeting to discuss the inevitability of a Hamas invasion on the morning of October 7th and failing 
to at least put the forces on alert, at least tell the people on the border, stand to, get armed, get ready to repel borders, do something, but instead to say, we're going to sleep on it. And then Hamas attacked and did what they did. And then the delay in the response, when you have a five minute plan for helicopter response, that takes seven hours to execute. Benjamin Netanyahu has a lot to account for here. And I do believe that we're going to need a, um, you know, a, a, a commission of inquiry at some point in time. And I do believe that he's probably going to be pushed out of power because he's an embarrassment, less than 4% support amongst the Israeli public. And it's falling even further if it can fall too much more because of the lies being told by the Israeli government about what happened on October 7th. Scott Ritter, always a pleasure, my man. Thank you for your passion. Thank you for your intellect. And thank you for your ability to analyze uh, these things as few others can. We'll, uh, we'll see you again soon. Thanks for having me. Of course. Judge Napolitano for Judging Freedom. Uh, 245,000 uh, subscriptions. Thank you so much. Our goal, of course, is a quarter of a million by Christmas. We are well on our way there, thanks to you. Uh, all of our usual guests will be back with us in the coming days. Thanks for watching. Judge Napolitano for Judging Freedom. <laughs>